May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Ronald Reagan told a story one time about a man who had two sons, and he was very worried about the two boys. You see, one was a pessimist beyond recall, and the other one was an optimist beyond reason. And so the man went to see a child psychologist to talk to him about the two boys. And the psychologist said to the uh, the man, I think we can fix this. I think we can fix this problem. Here's what we'll do. We'll get a room and we'll fill it with the greatest toys any boy has ever seen. We'll just pack it full. And we'll take the pessimistic boy and we'll put him in the room and we'll tell him, all these toys are for you. They're all for you. Enjoy them. And uh, he'll, he'll see all these toys and be so happy and he'll get over his pessimistic attitude. The father said, well... That sort of makes sense, but what about the optimist? Oh, no problem, the psychologist says. I have this friend who owns a stable of horses. And so we'll get um, you know, this farmer to take horse manure and fill a room with it. And when the optimist boy sees his brother getting all those toys, and then he gets this room with all this, well, that'll cure him of his optimism. And the father said, you know, that sort of sounds like it might, make, it might work, you know. And so on the appointed day, he, he takes the boys to the farm and they all walk the pessimistic boy up to the room and open up the door and there are all these toys, just the best toys ever. And they show him into the room and shut the door. Told him, they're all for you. And then they take the optimistic boy out to the, um, out to the stable and they open a door and show him the room with his prize in it. And they escort him in just piled up. Here, this is all for you. And he shuts the door. And the father goes back to check on the first boy, and he opens the door, and there sits the the boy in the middle of the room, crying like his heart's about to break. And the father says, well, what's the the matter, son? Why are you crying? And the boy says, I just know someone's going to come in here and take all of these toys away from me. Oh, my goodness. So he went out to the barn to check on the other boy. He opens the door, and there's the other son just throwing the stuff up in the air, happy as a clam. He'd never seen him so happy before. And, and the father says, my land son, what are you doing? And the boy looked at him and said, Dad, with all this poo in here, there's bound to be a pony somewhere. <laughs> Most people are either optimists or pessimists, aren't they? I always thought I was an optimist. Until a couple weeks ago, I went down to get coffee, and we have one of these coffee pots where you, you, know, you just push the cup up against, and it kind of has the carafe up above, and you can't see the coffee. It just kind of drops, pours down into it. And so I go up there, and I, you know, with one eye, I push that coffee cup open there, and hoping it'll wake me up, and, and about four ounces pour into this coffee. You know, just, this is about that much. And I, it stopped, and, and I looked at my wife, and I said, Honey... Did you only make like a cup and a half? Or, you know, what? my cup is half empty. And she said, oh, no, dear, cheer up. Your cup's half full. And I know. You know, that's not what I wanted to hear in the morning. Um, some of us are, are optimists and some of us are pessimists. And, and right in between the books of, uh, of Obadiah and Micah is a little book called Jonah. It's about a prophet. And it's, a, it's kind of a different Hebrew prophet story. You know, most of the Hebrew prophet stories are stories that are told, uh, that are the collection of sermons most often. And so the, all the sermons of the prophet are kind of woven together or, or put together in some narrative. 
But that's not the story of Jonah. Jonah is a story about a prophet, about this preacher called Jonah. And it's not a very flattering tale at all. Jonah doesn't come out of of this story looking very good at all. We're kind of disappointed in Jonah. But there's more to the story. You know, there's always more to the story, isn't there? You remember Paul Harvey, the rest of the story? Well, how about today hearing the rest of the story for Jonah? Jonah lived um, probably sometime before the year 722 B.C. He lives in an ancient Near Eastern world um, that is uh, kind of controlled by a, a world superpower called Assyria. And Assyria would have been in what is today modern Iraq, in the northern part of modern Iraq, and its capital city, Nineveh, today modern Mosul in Iraq. This was a controlling dominant empire. And the Assyrians were some of the most violent, most brutal, most dictatorial people the world had ever seen. They were harsh and cruel. Um, they were, they were um, run by a king, Tiglath-Pileser III. And he was a... He was a brutal, brutal dictator. He took, um, he took uh, control of power by force and killed an entire royal family just so there would be no rivals to him later on. He was known to, uh, to vanquish any army or any uh, nation that would f- refuse to pay him money. He, he actually made people, made countries, pay money not to invade them. And when they didn't pay, oh my word, No warfare quite like it. When he won, he would take the POWs, the prisoners of war, the people who had surrendered. He would kill them and attach their body to poles coming in and out of the city so that everyone could see what would happen if you tried to defy him. But it actually gets worse. When he would get hold of the king and the leading generals, he took these large hooks. Imagine something that looked like a fish hook, only you know, a, a couple feet, you know, a, a, a huge, huge hook. And he would take them to these generals and he would hook them right through the, the pecks of their arms. And then with a rope tied to the other end, he'd climb up on his horse and he would drag them through the city streets. As a message to all people all over the world, if you don't do what I tell you, if you don't pay me, I will destroy you, I will humiliate you, and I will kill you. He was one of the most brutal, ruthless people who have ever lived. He was, to the ancient Near Eastern world, what Hitler was to ours, only probably much worse, much crueler. And then you have Jonah. You have Jonah who lives during this time. He lives during a time where the most inhumane, uh, most brutal, most ruthless nation ever to, to exist probably up to that point is living in his neighborhood. So when the book begins, the book of Jonah begins, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that is, to Assyria, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. You say to yourself, Well, of course their evil has come up against God. I mean, of course it did. And we're a bit surprised by Jonah. We're surprised by his reaction, because what does Jonah say when when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, Go to Nineveh and preach? He says, no thank you. I'm afraid I have other plans, Lord. There's anything I want to do, but I'm not doing that. I'm boarding a ship. I'm going a different direction. I mean, it would be like, uh, suppose the Lord said to you, you know, go to, go to Michigan. I mean, that's 
That's as close to Nineveh. Go to Michigan. I'm just teasing any of you Michiganders. You know, and, and you said, um, I think I'll go to Florida instead. That's exactly what Jonah does. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to Nineveh. And he says, no, I quit. No more profit business for me. No more preaching. I'm going to somewhere warm and sunny and I'm out of here. Only it's not that easy to quit on God, is it? I mean, he has a way of sort of drawing us back. And you know the story, right? Big fish, little Jonah, swallowed up. And in, some, in the fish's belly, Jonah says something like this. This is the Joe Boyce will paraphrase. Did I say I quit? Because, you know, I really didn't mean I quit. I, I might be willing to reconsider this whole thing. Oh, and then he's back out onto the land. And chapter 3 begins with the exact same words that chapter 1 begins. Only with this little caveat. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Saying, go to Nineveh, that's Assyria, and call out against it. And Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. See, Jonah got up and he did what he was told to do. But he didn't do it happily, did he? He was, you know, kind of gritting his teeth, a snarl on his face. All right, I'll do it. I remember one of my sons when he was little. I won't tell you which one. But um, I had to punish him for doing something he was, wasn't supposed to do. He was a little boy. And, uh, and so I took a chair and I put it in the corner and I set the boy in the chair. I helped him, you know, get in the chair. And I sat him down and I said, now you sit there. And I, got a, I, I turned and I walked away. And don't you know that boy jumped right up and, and got out of that chair? So I helped him again, you know, and I sat him down and, and I turned around to walk away and he backed up again. And so a third time I put him down and a third time he got up and then I did what dads and moms do. I applied the board of education to the seat of knowledge, you know that? And, um, and, and then I sat him down again and I said, I said, sit down. And do you know what that ordinary boy did? He looked at me and said, I'm sitting down on the outside but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> Just like his mother. <laughs> intelligent, very intelligent, is what I mean. Jonah's going to Nineveh on the outside. On the inside, he's still heading to Tarshish, isn't he? But here's the big question, the really big question. Why doesn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? I mean, the Lord said, cry out against it. And did you hear Jonah's sermon? It, only eight words in English, only five words in Hebrew. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. You think he'd be thrilled to preach that sermon. I mean, these people are awful. They're, they're cruel. They're horrible. They're brutal. You think Jonah would be saying, Oh, Lord, I've been wanting to preach this sermon. Send me to Nineveh. Why doesn't he? Oh, and you know... You know, you're way ahead of me, don't you? You know why he doesn't want to preach this sermon? He's afraid they might just listen. He's afraid they might actually respond to his sermon. Oh, for heaven's sakes, they might turn to God and repent. And then what will God do? I mean, what will God do to these people if they, if they actually repent? If they actually turn and ask for forgiveness, you know what he'll do. Jonah knew what he would do. God will forgive them. 
He'll relent from the disaster that He's going to send on them. He'll spare them. He'll give them a hope and a future. And that's the last thing in the world Jonah wants for them. They don't deserve compassion. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve to be let off the hook. They deserve to be destroyed. That's what Jonah wants for them. And that's why he doesn't want to preach this sermon. I think most of us are really willing to give compassion to people who need it. I mean, especially people who suffer from no fault of their own. You see, you know, children starving in Africa, or women sold into to, to slavery, or, or, you know, at-risk inner-city kids. I mean, you see people who are just kind of in a difficult situation. It's only natural to have compassion for them. Of course we have compassion. They don't even have to be human. Now, I know a little boy who, who, tough as nails, loves animals. Just loves them. And so when that commercial, you know, the, the Sarah McLaughlin uh, song, you know, she's singing in the arms of angels and all these animals that are abused and, and uh, you know, they shows these pictures. This little boy just in tears. Can't look at it. When, when we see someone hurting, when we see someone suffering, when we see someone who, who needs compassion because something has happened to them, it's no fault of their own, of course, of course we have compassion on them. Of course we feel for them. But what about when it's someone who doesn't deserve compassion? What about when someone who's done something deserves punishment and judgment? And we sense the Lord saying to us, but I want you to extend compassion to them. They, you know, having empathy for one's enemies, loving those who wrong us, Loving our neighbor like we love ourselves, even if our neighbor happens to be a real, you know, pain somewhere in the anatomy. You know that, right? I mean, where have I heard that before? Love your neighbor like you love yourself somewhere. I can't remember where. Um, I, was, uh, I was watching a film not long ago. It was something about elephants. It was a circus film. And maybe you'll remember the name of it. Uh, but I'm watching it, and, and this guy was talking in the film about how to train elephants and, and he says, you know, when elephants are small, uh, you know, I always wondered, you see the circus elephants are like tied to a little stick, you know, and you think, how does that stick keep them from running away? Well, in the film, the guy says um, that when an elephant is young, the trainers will, will drive a stake way down into the ground. And the elephant, you know, a team of elephants couldn't pull that stake out of the ground. And so the elephant begins to learn from its earliest ages, that it, earliest age, that it can't pull away. Once its leg is tied. And so as it grows up, it quits trying to pull away. And the guy says in the film, you know, when an elephant gets old, you can just, you know, stick a little stake in the ground and tie it up. And, and the elephant won't even try to pull away from it. it. It believes that it can't get free. And so it doesn't even try. I think we live in a world that tells us from our earliest ages... Love your family, love your friends, be nice to those who are nice to you, but not your enemies. Hate your enemies. Don't let someone get the best of you. you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right? Be careful. Be careful who you trust. Be careful who you love. And keep people at an arm's length. We learn this all sorts of ways on the playground and everywhere else we go. But that's not the message of this book. 
That's not the message of Jonah. That's not the message that, that Christ gives to us for the world. The message that we hear from, from this book is love your friends, love your family, and love your enemy. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you and say all sorts of manner of evil against you falsely. Bless and do not curse. That's what Jesus says. And you say to yourself, well, goodness, if you're going to love someone like that, that'd take a miracle. Some of us are very optimistic about the potential for miracles. Amen.